Chapter six, take care of yourself. Physical care and well-being are foundational for many other habits. When your body is cared for, you're better able to deal with emotions. Resilient people have a healthy perception, are committed to taking care of themselves, and accept themselves more or less as they are. In my third year teaching, I wrote myself a letter that contained the following section. You will not save the world by working yourself to the bone. You can be patient and attentive with kids and deliver carefully crafted, differentiated lessons and keenly capture formative assessment observations if you're congested, hungry, achy, weepy, phlegmy, jittery, and have burning eyes from sleep deprivation. You won't be an amazing teacher if you work until you can't stand up. Maybe you know this already. It took me a long time to learn. I suspect you know that you're not your best when your definition of self-care is that you brushed your teeth and changed your clothes. You know that you get sick when you're run down and depleted, and that, after a good night's sleep, everything feels easier in your classroom. I'm sure you know that self-care is important. So why don't we take better care of ourselves? What would it take to make us to do so? Our bodies and emotions are extremely intertwined. Our physical state creates emotional states. Our emotions are affected by our physical state. This whole book is about emotional self-care, but this chapter will explore what it'll take to get us to get more sleep, eat well, exercise, and take care of our bodies. If our bodies are strong, rested, nourished, and enjoyed, tending to our emotional selves will be exceptionally easier. Pause and reflect. What's your history of self-care? Are you on a trajectory of improvement? Or has it been deteriorating? Why do you think you don't take better care of yourself? And what might better self-care look like for you? When disillusionment sets in. For new teachers, the stretch between mid-October and Thanksgiving is the most emotionally challenged phase of the school year. The new teacher center calls this phase the disillusionment period. And when the excitement, hope, and adrenaline of the new school year have worn off and winter break seems impossibly distant. Ellen of the new teacher center writes, after six to eight weeks of nonstop work and stress, new teachers enter the disillusionment phase. The extensive time commitment, the realization that things are probably not going as smoothly as they want, and low morale contributes to this period of disenchantment. New teachers begin questioning both their commitment and their competence. Many new teachers get sick during this phase. This phase, as well as others in a teacher's year, is depicted in figure 6.1. Furthermore, by November, kids having yet demonstrated their learning in a way that matches our output of energy and effort. We can't yet see the results of all that hard work. This is what makes us say to ourselves, is it really worth it to work this hard? November can be a low point for experienced educators as well. Whether I was working as a teacher, coach, or administrator, late October was a hard time for me. I've been exerting tremendous amounts of energy for several months to get the year launched, to build relationships, and to be my best self, and my own self-care had fallen low on my list of priorities. 
As we roll into the month of November, what would happen if we devoted time and energy to tending to our physical and emotional needs? What if during this time, teachers supported each other to take walks, eat nutritious lunches, and sleep? Isn't it worth focusing on our self-care for a month if there's a chance we could prevent illness, feel happier, and serve children more effectively? Over the last 20 years, on a steadily improving trajectory, but not yet where I want to be in my self-care goals, perhaps this is why I've been obsessed with getting people to take care of themselves. Our schools are busting with educators who rarely put themselves first. Whether a teacher in conversation with colleagues, as a coach working with clients, or as an administrator managing direct reports, I was faced with this issue again and again. I've probably thought about this question, what would it take to get so-and-so to sleep eight hours a night, more than any when it comes to behavior change? Far too many times, a lack of self-care has surfaced as the root cause for lack of growth for a teacher or leader. Four reasons why we don't take care of ourselves. Here's why I think we don't take care of ourselves. Number one, we're missing information. Let's call this a knowledge gap. Sometimes we hear new information, or even something we've heard before, about exercise or sleep or kale, and it catapults us into it catapults us into a behavior change. We don't know how. We want to eat better, but where do we start? What exactly do we do? We all have skill gaps of different sizes. Self care is learned. Number three, we don't really think we need to take care of ourselves. We get by on minimum sleep, we teach with a cold, and we figured we can rest later. This is a will gap. Number four, we don't feel we deserve to take care of ourselves. We feel that our value is tied to our output and that if we don't work hard, people won't respect us, like us, love us, or want us. We don't say no to anyone. We take on too much work and overcommitment. This is an emotional intelligence gap. Valuing yourself and feeling that you are worth self-care are core to the emotional intelligence. Gaps tend to coexist. So if you don't believe you are worthy of experiencing physical well-being, your emotional intelligence gap, you'll be unlikely to listen to a podcast on how sugar destroys your body. It's hard to know which gap came first. Did that emotional intelligence gap blur a will gap? Or did the will gap come first? It can be useful to reflect on the root gap, but at times it doesn't really matter which gap came first. What matters is that you start addressing the gaps and sometimes it's easiest to start closing whichever one feels the easiest. You are reading this book because you want to be emotionally resilient, right? A healthy, well-rested body is foundational for emotional resilience. In this chapter, I'll focus on addressing will and emotional intelligence gaps around self-care, whereas the workbook offers some support in closing knowledge and skill gaps. Outside permission can be motivating. I coached an assistant superintendent whose sleep deprivation wrecked personal and professional havoc on him. And because he was such a physical and emotional mess, my leadership coaching was going nowhere. After observing his disastrous felicitation of a team meeting, I got tough. I said, that's it. I'm going to quit being your coach unless you sleep. 
You can't get your team to make thoughtful decisions that impact thousands of kids if you don't get some sleep, eat breakfast, and drag your clammy face into the sun for 15 minutes a day. Either you sleep or I quit. This administrator trusted me. He knew that I had his best interest at heart. He also wanted me to coach him. His response was, I respect your opinion and I want to be a better leader. So if you say I should sleep, I'll sleep. We wrote a self-care plan, which included SMART, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely self-care goals. And these moved to the top of his strategic planning documents. As we created these plans, this leader also talked about his beliefs around hard work. Growing up all around me, there were messages around the value of work, warnings about laziness, about the role of men to work hard and provide. Those are in me, he said. I acknowledge that many of us have wholehearted, adapted cultural mindsets and values around working and rest. I added that women are often told to care for everyone else because caring for themselves before caring for themselves. These messages around sacrifice, hard work, and service have great value in our world, but they also need to be balanced with the caring of, our, of ourselves. We don't have to abandon these values. They may just need to be tempered and updated with what we know now about our bodies, minds, emotions, and spirits. Self-care is not the end of the conversation. It's the beginning. The assistant superintendent had three other goals, areas that directly impacted kids in his 25,000 student district. And that year, he met them all. At the end of June, when I asked him in our final reflection, to what do you attribute your success with this year? He said, I slept eight hours a night, ate breakfast, and sat my clammy face in the sun. What convinced you to do that, I asked. He'd been sleep deprived in his role for several years. I needed someone to make it a mandate or maybe given me permission, he said. I haven't yet been able to do this for myself. That's the next step. So you telling me, I had to do it to get me started. The moral of the story is this. If the protestant worth ethic has been trapped, or if another dominant mindset about who should care for themselves is choking you, get help. Tell a few people whom you trust and respect that they can yell at you. This kind of permission, granted or received, is scaffolding. It helps us along the journey of self-discovery and true self-care. Don't turn down scaffolds. They exist for a reason. Maybe you'd listen to your doctor telling you that you have to quit smoking or do something about your weight. Maybe you'd listen to your partner tell you to take the day off and get a massage. Maybe you'd listen to your mom or your best friend or coach or boss or sister or kid or neighbor or pastor or Oprah tell you to treat yourself and your body well. If there's someone you'd listen to, let that person know. Most likely, people who, are, who care about you have tried before, but you've turned away. Let them know that they can try again. Request help in getting started on this project. When self-care, when you're in a self-care crisis, are you reading this chapter now because you're falling apart and you can't figure out how to return to the classroom or office tomorrow? In chapter six of the workbook, you'll find an intervention plan that has pulled many educators back from the edge. It's called When You Are in a Self-Care Crisis. Note that you'll need to do the things described there every day for a week in order to feel better.